This is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And today we're talking about Shotgun King and Chessplosion. Uh, both of these are roguelikes, so you could call this one of our new editions of Roguelike Roundup, but we're calling it Chess Club, uh, due to the fact <laughs> that both of these games very much have a chess styling to them. So uh, chess like or chess roguelikes or chess likes, if you will, uh, that's the the theme of the day. It could be the next big genre after deck likes have taken over <laughs> the whole roguelike world. That's right. Uh, you know, we've got to branch out into all of our different board games, all of our different, you know, I'm waiting for my chess, or, or sorry, our roguelike uh, field game simulator. We can have our <laughs> roguelike soccer and roguelike basketball, roguelike football. Um, roguelike you know, a... uh, run around a track four times. Uh, <laughs> roguelike track and field. <laughs> it would be <laughs> frighteningly boring, probably. Oh, uh, well, you know, until people start chucking javelins at each other. Fair enough. Um would would Quop be considered the first track and field roguelike? <laughs> um. <laughs> no, I've heard Quop described as a rage game, which I think is a apt description. Ah, uh, yes, the newest genre, rage games. Just what we need in this day and age, something to provoke <laughs> more rage. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, let's get back to uh, the, the games of the day, uh, you know, our, our chess and roguelike combination. So, Josh, you uh, initially sort of had this idea when you um, had kicked off by playing Shotgun King, right? Oh, that's right. I heard about the title of the game and I thought, I don't even need to watch the trailer on this. I'm just buying this because Shotgun <laughs> King is a game of chess where black doesn't have any pieces but the king but that king has a shotgun ergo shotgun's <laughs> king that's right uh it, it's a fantastic premise and we're just going to you know we'll talk about shotgun king first and then and then go into chess explosion after that but um yeah shotgun king is i think probably the best one word elevator or, or one uh, one sentence elevator pitch i can remember in video games um you know you play as you said josh the black king uh, on a chessboard, uh, but he has a shotgun, and man, it's it's just such a great distillation of like a simple idea that you know was iterated on in in such a good and simple and obvious way, but at the same time completely unobvious. Like, how has this not been a thing yet? <laughs> <laughs> now I think there's a good bit of humor just in the idea of it too, because you know a lot of people see chess as a very intellectual pursuit, where you have. Um, you know, a game between the, like the world championship game could go on for hours and hours of people just sitting there and staring at a board of 16 pieces. I'm sorry, uh, 32 pieces. I can't count. Um, <laughs> but the idea of like combining that with some sort of like action first person shooter where you're running around with a shotgun. Not that you are a first person shooter here, but that's just kind of the image that popped into my mind when I first heard this. Like it's um a kind of satisfying juxtaposition of the two. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that this is sort of capturing a bit of the zeitgeist in terms of like chess in the mainstream has become a thing lately. Like the world of professional chess probably hasn't been observed by the mainstream public um, to the degree it is right now since, um, I don't know, the days of Bobby Fischer or something like that. We had the Queen's Gambit come out and make big waves on Netflix the other, uh, you know, several or maybe a couple years ago at this point. But um, 
at any rate, I feel like chess is sort of having a little bit of a moment, and this game is, uh, you know, I guess swimming in the wake of that. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, chess is huge right now. Like, um, it's a pretty big streaming category on its own. And there's all kinds of like, controversies coming around right now, too. I'm sure you've heard about the big cheating scandal. Yeah, that's right. I I, to- I have heard of that. That's what I I guess that's See, what I was exactly. alluding to with chess's mainstream <laughs> moment. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it, it's interesting, and um, I guess uh, you know I, I doubt the developers of these two games had that in mind when they sought out to create a chess video game. Um, but maybe they did. Who knows? But maybe to that end, we should introduce the developers of our first game, Shotgun King. Um, this is a group called Punk Cake Delicio, or Josh, maybe as the, the French speaker of the group, you can give me the correct pronunciation. <laughs> uh, Delicio, Delicio, I don't know, it's been too long, uh, but you can Fair just enough. kind of like mumble a bit at the end and it'll sound okay. Perfect. Um, well, uh, yeah, I should maybe call out these are two French video game developers. Uh, Benjamin Soule and Remy DeVoe. Um, I'm hoping I pronounce pronounce those as right or correctly as well. Uh, they also have a composer they work with, uh, a Spanish composer who goes by the name uh, Pentadrangle. And uh, yeah, this uh, this is another, I guess, sort of very small video game collective. Uh, we've talked about Sock Pop in the past, but these two also run a Patreon where they put out games on a monthly basis. So this is maybe more common than we think, or we're just running into the only two people on the internet that are doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think there is actually... I'm hearing about more and more game developers going this route uh, as a way to both hone their craft as game developers and to kind of put more prototypes out there and see which ones catch on. Like, trust the market trust the public more than you trust yourself on that and in fact that's something i'm looking to do myself next year maybe not get a patreon going but still just try putting out more smaller complete experiences i think a big thing was the success of vampire survivors coming out only three dollars and not a huge like a game that somebody spent hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours developing and i think that that game finding success opened the eyes of a lot of developers to the fact that there's a market for this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of probably relatively simple to prototype and then iterate on concepts that that can be hit on in, in the model like the Patreon one we just talked about. And I think, you know, as you said, this is a great way to reduce risk. It's a good way to, you know, sort of guarantee yourself, you know, a modicum of income that you find acceptable and then at the same time, like, your craft and and find out what works and what you're good at making and what the public uh, likes to see from you. Another good way of checking out a bunch of prototypes and whatnot is to enter a competition, a game jam such as Ludum Dare, which Shotgun King came out of Ludum Dare 50. Mm -hmm. Yeah, winner of it, actually. Um, And that shouldn't surprise um, anyone who's played this game because uh, it's it seems like it came out of it pretty fully formed, um, you know, really great, polished, um, sort of fully formed idea right from from the launch. Yeah, this game, um, I mean, the pitch for it sounds great, but this game does kind of like fulfill that idea you have in its head. I'm sure we'll talk about how it does that specifically, but um, yeah, it did great. The one thing, I just looked at the uh, Ludum Dare 50 theme, though, and the theme was Delay the Inevitable. So I'm not sure if this was winning on the strength of its thematic implementation, maybe. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's a bit of a stretch to um, necessarily say this fits into that mold perfectly, but it does fit into a um, the mold of a, a chess roguelike pretty perfectly. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe we should talk a little bit about what exactly you know this game plays like and, and what you're doing. So as you mentioned up top, Josh, uh, you play as a single piece, right? So you have. Um, uh, the Black King, and as we mentioned, of course, you have a shotgun. It's in the title. Um, but init- initially, you only have two shots in the chamber that can, and, and you're reloading on movement. And your job is to make your way through 12 boards, 12 different levels, uh, that become uh, increasingly full of different chess pieces based on uh, sort of a new perk or card you draw at each level. The interesting thing about this is you're not only drawing a card that will buff your enemies or say add one bishop subtract two pawns add six pawns subtract one rook or whatever you're also drawing one for yourself say increasing your firepower by two but causing the queen to be immortal or or something like that there's all kinds of interesting iterations on the, the cards and perks they they have and it sort of increases the stakes as you go along through this roguelike 12 floor experience yeah this was i think one of the most brilliant ideas of the game was this pairing of your own perks with perks for the enemy team. And it wasn't like they would always match up with each other. Like the um, the Immortal Queens one you mentioned, it's not like if you pick that, then you get this perk. It's always uh, forced to be a pair. But rather it's random which uh, cards go with which other ones. So not only are you trying to maximize your own build, you're trying to minimize the opponent's build by not giving them too much of a concentration of strength. Like, um, you mentioned a couple of the things where you add pieces. The game, by the later floors, the board gets very full of other pieces. But it can also do other things, like um, where uh, pawns can attack two squares in front of them, because now they all got spears. Or, like... Um, <laughs> The king oh, can't a die. The <laughs> yeah, there's a moat in the middle. The king can't die if there's a knight around, or like um, yeah. he gets. There's a hidden prince among the pawns, and if you kill the king, one of the pawns becomes the king again. Oh, I never got that one. That sounds interesting. Um, that being said, I think like the only reason that this idea is viable in the first place to me is that it is hooking into that existing rule set of chess, like. If you sort of divorced the idea of Shotgun King from the idea of how all of these different pieces are able to move, um, and it was a shorthand that everyone who, you know, who right now is familiar with the shorthand being chess was unfamiliar with, this wouldn't work as well, you know? Like mm. having mm-hmm. that immediacy of knowing how a pawn's going to move and be able to attack, knowing how a knight's going to be able to move and attack, etc. It's just. It short circuits like this really intense learning curve that I think could make this game very inaccessible. And I know you and me played chess, you know, way back when in <laughs> grade school, even. Um, yes, we did. But the uh, <laughs> you, you know, always people, kick my ass if I remember. <laughs> <laughs> probably still could. But uh, if probably. I <laughs> if you haven't played chess before, they did have a nice thing where during your turn if you're going to move into danger or if you are in danger and you don't know it and you try to do something that doesn't kill the piece that's threatening you um you get a couple of like i don't know folly folly shields is what they call them yeah a couple of like uh hey do you can't do that right now uh per turn 
So there, you get to like you get three strikes per turn before you know they'll be like, okay, if you really want to do that, you just died. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll do the classic sort of um, you know uh, icon will shake and you'll get some feedback saying that's not where you want to move. <clears throat> you know, sort of disallowing the player to screw themselves on purpose. Um, which I I'm glad to hear you said three because I turned this up to the maximum uh, allowable, which was three as well, right from the start. <laughs> um, oh, because uh, you know I, I can't be asked to pay that close of attention. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think it's worth talking about the basic turn-based structure of this. You know, it's turn-based like chess is. Uh, during your turns as the Black King, you can move a square in any direction. You can fire your shotgun or you can reload if you have ammo left over, which you'll run out of that soon. It regenerates slowly, but, um, you know, you got to get those pawns before they get to the end and turn into queens themselves, which isn't a nifty little sort of tension. But another important thing is during the white player's move, more than one piece will move at once. Um, It's not like the white just advances piece by piece and you pick them off with a shotgun, especially once you have like 16 to 20 white pieces on the board, things get a little crazy there. Yeah, totally. And I I think this is especially the case as you start to advance to the higher floors, right? Because at the start, um, basically the loadout for the white um, chess pieces is, you know, there's a king, there's a couple bishops, a couple knights, uh, a couple rooks, and um, and like six pawns. And then slowly but surely, what they start, what starts to happen is you add perks for the enemy that say remove some pawns, but add some higher value pieces. Like you know, eventually there'll be three rooks and three knights, and then they're like two more bishops will come in on turn four, and you know, knights will continuously spawn on the fifth turn after turn five or something like that. You know, they they just start to ratchet up the amount of enemies coming into play. But at the same time, you're ratcheting up the firepower that you as the shotgun king <laughs> to bear as well. You know, you mm-hmm. get three bullets in the chamber and the amount of bullets that your shotgun fires uh, is now five instead of the starting four. Or, uh, you know, as, as one time I got it, it got up to eight. And I'm like, oh man, now I can basically take out the whole first row of pawns uh, and inevitably inevitably screw myself as I reveal a check onto myself. <laughs> oh yeah, those damn rooks. That was one of the, um, I, I'm not going to say frustrating because it was actually kind of fun when it happened. I'm like, oh damn it's it. funny. There's another one. Yeah, like um, if you take out a pawn and that pawn's between you and a queen or you and a rook, then surprise, you just died. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I think this is especially interesting in the way that it sort of interacts with the RNG-based nature of the shotgun. Uh, as, as we mentioned, you start off where your shotgun is shooting four shells, but um, you're not always going to know exactly where those shells are going to go because your shotgun has an arc in front of it whenever you shoot it. And of course, as a shotgun is, uh, as it's closer to you, the arc is smaller, but as you move it out further away from you, the arc is much larger. So uh, you, there are cards that can sort of adjust this as you go and choose your perks, but by and large, you're dealing with a certain amount of RNG for where your shells are going to land. It felt very satisfyingly shotgun-like. Like, um, your three stats were firepower, how much damage a bullet would do, um, the number of shells that got sent out uh, with each shot, or like the number of bullets that went out, and the range. 
Oh, I'm sorry, there's another one, the fire arc. Like how wide those shots would spread. And it felt very shotgunny, and especially given the kind of um, tactical nature of this, where it's all about positioning yourself to make best advantage, take best advantage of your fire arc, uh, it felt very good. And, you know, like this wasn't a game that was like a submachine gun king would not feel as good. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Uh, Shotgun King was the, the correct weapon choice, the, good, the right loadout for this. <laughs> um, you know, Sniper Rifle King would have been lame. Uh, there is actually a sniper build you can do in this. Uh, there's a surprising number of builds, but one of them, it's like you spend a, a turn looking down the scope, quote unquote, and the next turn your uh, fire arc is like three degrees. Oh, interesting. Uh, see, I think uh, I didn't find that perk. I found one, however, that uh, let me take a piece that was next to me and throw it at another piece, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is also pretty satisfying. You know, just like um, the idea of the shotgun kind of being a little like close quarters of a weapon, but also being a little reckless too. I think they played with that well, especially with like the discovered check that kills you. Like you, you take out the enemies and oh snap, that just opened up your defenses right there. Like that felt very on theme. Absolutely. Um, sort of, and I think, you know, they do give you like a small story when you boot up the game about how the Black King was just like a huge douchebag and all of his subject left and went to the White King. And he seems like a reckless kind of guy, you know, the kind of guy that would take a shotgun and go on um, basically a postal style killing spree uh, against his former subjects. But yeah, for what it's worth, the White King doesn't seem that great either, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with your former subjects, uh, one of the other conceits of the game is that there's this little bit of a souls system where if you take out one of your former subjects, like a black knight who turned white or something like that, sw swapped sides, you get a claim on his soul and you get the soul card, which allows you to make a knight's move at some point in the future. Right, yeah, you can make you can get this uh, with any of the non-pawn pieces because who would want to move like a pawn, honestly? <laughs> um, that's already in the king's move set. So, um, you know, it, it's an understated and underrated aspect of this game that, uh, of course, as you would expect, all the pieces move in the style that they want to. And you, as the king, as as Josh said, uh, if you capture and utilize a knight's soul or a bishop's soul you can move in their style as well very useful in the case of the knight for say escaping check mm -hmm. um that was uh, and there was a power up that let me have two souls at a time so i could even further increase my repertoire of movement uh, which i found very helpful and satisfying i think on one of my winning builds i had the same like i could have two souls but then i also had um i gained one movement uh for each night soul that i had so my king could move Ooh. three places uh spots at a time which actually opened up quite a bit because you could sneak past a queen at that point like right go right by them and still be safe yeah that does sound really interesting i never got that one either i guess there's probably more of these um uh perks than i thought because you know we both played a, a decent amount of this this game and i thought i saw like all of them but i guess I, maybe i just didn't take them or you know glazed over them but yeah i um I'm pretty satisfied with how much content there there is in this like to be fair like very small and affordable game. 
I was really surprised at the builds they had that kind of played with the, you know, the basic rules that they set up in the game, both chess rules and like their own spins on it. Um, there are some really interesting ones. Like um, you're talking about the uh, putting in new high level pieces, like taking a bishop, uh, take out two pawns. I remember one memorable em enemy build I went for once was like, trying to get rid of all of their good pieces and just have pawns left. And I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, this will just be a cakewalk. Uh, but then I seemed to make them into like Hulk-based pawns that just went to town on me until they got to the end. And I was, I finally got taken over by, I think it was three queens at once, just mugged me. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the, the most important thing that I always found to be the case for having a successful run was pumping my firepower up to at least five. Because um, at that point, you could take out a knight or a bishop in one hit. Um, rooks, another story, you usually need at least two. And then queens and kings, it kind of varies depending on, on the perks you choose as well. But um, yeah, pumping the firepower was always the right choice for me because, you know, you can basically count on like taking out a whole row of pawns and then any lower value piece as well and there's just something really satisfying about that first moment of contact when like whole wave <laughs> of enemies coming down there and you're like zombie movie <laughs> it is pretty it is incredibly satisfying um another thing i liked about this is um that you as the king um especially when, when it pertains to pawns have the ability to sort of strafe them right it's always riskier to attack um from the front than from the side because your enemy piece covers more of the arc when you're attacking from the side right so if you're trying to take out a queen getting lateral to them rather than going um you know straight up and down is a advantage because you have a much higher chance of hitting them with more bullets <laughs> huh, i never so, noticed yeah yeah they're they're pretty honest about the hitboxes so like attacking from the side is almost always the best move one thing I do say that I like about the AI is it's not a super complicated AI. Like there were a bunch of times when I could have been checkmated if the computer yeah. was trying to checkmate me. But when a piece moves, it tries to put you in check to the best of its ability rather than coordinate with its buddies, which makes for some more interesting like escapes and chases and like, you know, a more exciting gameplay. I, I agree with this. I think um, one thing that I think cannot be understated in terms of how fun it makes this game is that your chess knowledge is really only useful at a very surface level because, you know, you get multiple moves to one of their moves. They're moving multiple pieces at a time. Uh, chess knowledge is useful, but it's not one-to-one -one with chess in any <laughs> conceivable way. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see sure. config. Yeah, you'll you'll see configurations and, and combinations of pieces in this that you would never see in normal chess. Um, you know, three bishops or rooks, twelve pawns. You know, it's just nonsense. Like, there's nothing. Given we talked about up top, like how much of a formulaic and formal game chess can be, um, this kind of just throws that out the window. Which I, for one love <laughs> it was a very joyful throwing out the window yeah i mean exactly. like you've mentioned surface level but i think it's really you just need to know how the pieces move which mm -hmm. you'll learn soon enough if you don't know already another interesting rule that they kept with it too that they didn't need to but uh the level ends when you kill the king 
Um, yes, yes. So it's not trying to clear out the enemy army, and some eventually the army is going to be too big for you to kill before all the pawns level up themselves. Uh, so it's almost like um, you got to break into the enemy's fortress around where all of their pieces are with your shotgun, bust some heads, and as long as you get the king before they get you, then you're set. Yeah, you're golden. Uh, and I really like that conceit as well, where as long as you got the king, game over. It doesn't matter what the state of the board is. doesn't matter if they're about to you know, corner you. Uh, yeah, as long as that king is down, it's over. If they didn't include that, you know, some players might try to sit back at the back of the board and just shoot things as they're coming, which that could be a game, but it's not this one, and it's not as good if you don't have to assault. Yeah, actually, absolutely. It, it fits in thematically with what you're doing, which is being a reckless shotgun king. <laughs> it's not um, it's not door peeker king. It is, you know, uh, it is shotgun king. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so with that, uh, let's uh, sum up our, our thoughts on um, Shotgun King before we move on to our next chess-like. Um, my three-word review for Shotgun King is flip the board. Uh, I was never the best chess player, and between an uncle who taught chess as a high school teacher and team coach and having Josh as a friend growing up, it wasn't easy to find folks against whom I could eke out a win. Um, Shotgun King appeals to the bad chess player in me, gives you asymmetrical emergent scenarios and sports placement and piece combos you'd never see in real chess, and thus could never prepare for or memorize, which uh, definitely appeals to the lazy person in me as well. In normal chess, when you're left with only a king, any competitive player would yield or at best wait for their opponent to make a mistake, but in Shotgun King that's just the beginning, and the shotgun hilarity in combination with the thoughtful tactical approach needed completely flips the script on what a chess game can be. I highly recommend Shotgun King, and not just because its premise is a revelation, but because it takes a game known for its formality and formulaic nature and flips the board. Nice. My three-word review for this is Premise Pulled Off. Shotgun King has a pretty hilarious premise. It's a game of chess, except one side has a shotgun. It's the sort of game that could have easily topped the humor category at its ludum dare without much gameplay to back it up. I was surprised then to see that the gameplay did back up the promised premise. By giving the Black King a shotgun instead of an army, the game gives the player a novel twist on an ancient game. Tactical considerations remain paramount, a lesson the player learns well after the King is killed through yet another discovered check. The roguelike perk system keeps things fresh as the player tries and tries again to get a few le levels farther. I really loved the boon and bane nature of choosing a perk for yourself and a perk for the enemy, leading to runs that felt significantly different from each other. Shotgun King sounds awesome, and it's the rare game that pulls off its promised potential. Agreed. Uh, so yeah, thank you to Punk Cake Delicio for an excellent chess-like, uh, one of the, the probably many that are sure to follow in its prestigious wake. And now let's turn our attention to our second game of the Chess Club Roguelike Roundup, Chessplosion. Chessplosion was created by developer C.T. Matthews, uh, and this, uh, in contrast to our previous turn-based chess-like, is a live-action sort of puzzle, roguelike, combination, multiplayer game that sort of feels like Bomberman, but with chess piece bombs. Uh, it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, this is a great little game. Um, 
it's uh very very different than shotgun king like i remember playing these two together back to back and thinking they both have chess in them <laughs> and that's but about that's, the only similarity <laughs> yeah just the game feel between them is so different yeah so uh, to be fair let's um Let's talk about sort of the whole package that is Chessplosion. There are uh, basically four different um, modes in this game, and, and we should talk through them all sort of in turn, because they're all very different, and they all have really interesting things that they do with the chess bomberman sort of um, mechanics that the game sets up. And, and the first one that I think we should talk about is, is Adventure, which is basically set up in like, I, I guess I would call it like a series of levels that is reminiscent of like a mobile game. Uh, you know, one room, one hit KO for you, and you're basically tasked with taking out a certain number of um, pieces on a board without getting hit with your um, with your chosen chess bombs that you can see at the upper left of your your screen. So how the gay how the adventure mode works is you're in an eight by eight chessboard arena sometimes with some obstacles in it and a number of enemies spawn. The enemies might be like chargers, they might rhino charge you they might shoot uh shoot explosions at you um and you have three bombs that you can lay at a time that recharge after they explode uh but the three bombs will be in three random chess shaped explosions you know your rook bomb will explode vertically and horizontally your bishop bomb diagonal the knight's bomb will do a knight's move explosion to its eight tiles on each of the knight moves possible the king bomb will just explode in the three by three square and the queen bomb will send out projectiles in all eight directions yeah it's um i think the fact that you can lay three of them at a time and they can also trigger each other it's worth noting they're all on a timer unless they are hit by another bomb's explosion at which point it sets off a chain reaction so there is a lot of sort of franticness going on where you can say lay bombs such that they cause a chain reaction and then you need to quickly sprint out of the way um because you're you know you're moving on this grid as well um and it's it's in real time for you it is really fun to sort of trap an enemy in what you know is going to be a death trap of chain reaction explosions <laughs> uh, and <laughs> this this to me served as like the perfect introduction to the mechanics of the game uh, once uh, we eventually decided to brave the online multiplayer aspect. <laughs> I think it's important to notice, note with the movement too is, you know, we said it's real time, but it's not like your character has a set move speed. Uh, maybe it's limited, but you can like double tap the button and go really quickly to some new squares there. Uh, so you can get in there, lay bombs and get out very, very quickly. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the the most fun uh, part of this game. I think is like dashing in, causing some chaos with a chain reaction of uh, chess bombs, and then darting behind a barrier of some sort. Because there's also um, environmental um, hazards and um, barriers on the grid that you're playing on as well. Um, so adventure mode i think is probably the pretty like the straight the most straight up version of what this game is trying to do I, it strikes me that that was probably like what came first you know they have many of the sort of one and done you're hit and you lose levels and then at the end of each world there's a boss battle where you you know you have a few hearts your enemy has a few hearts and you need to basically dps race them 
It's very possible. You know, I sometimes wonder if adventure or dungeon mode came first. Yeah, well, maybe we should just shift our um, our focus and talk about dungeon mode, because I think this is probably what qualifies this as something to throw into a roguelike roundup, because what I just described isn't. It's basically a, a puzzle slash sort of arcade style game. And mm-hmm. dungeon mode is very much a roguelike-inspired dungeon, where you're navigating a series of rooms doing the same thing that we just described in adventure mode, which is you know a series of 8x8 rooms with different configurations of enemies and goals to accomplish defeat this many um, uh, pieces, pick up um, a reward, which could be coins that you could spend at a shop that's later in the dungeon to, you know, heal a heart or pick up uh, a new or an extra slot for how many bombs you can lay at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, you know, you get to different levels. There's different environmental hazards once you get to the, uh, you know, go down the staircase, so to speak. Um but yeah, I, you know, thinking about which one came first, I remember playing through adventure mode and it seemed like each world would have a new enemy type. Like you start off with just the charging people and then you have the bomb lane people and all that. In the dungeon, they all get thrown at you at once. So I think my read on it was that the adventure mode was like introducing you to the enemies in the gameplay and the dungeon was kind of like where things were meant to come together. Yeah, and to my mind, definitely much harder, too. Like, doing a few worlds worth of the adventure mode um, prepared me to, you know, succeed in the dungeon, you know, and make it through a few floors of the dungeon, so to speak, before um, dying. Uh, I never made it to the end of the dungeon in this game. I don't know if you did. Um, But if there is an end of the dungeon, it it was hard to get to. Um, And maybe if we we got more time under our belts, we could could get there. Maybe you could. You're the the roguelike master. (laughs) (laughs) Adventure mode was nice when you did die, which you do a lot. Um, Then you get to restart right there. Uh, You don't have to restart from the beginning of the whole world or anything. And there's, a, I think, a good reason you die a lot, and that's that your bombs are crazy long-range and powerful. And especially when you lay three of them out, you have to quickly be like, oh shit, where's a safe square? Okay, here we go. Hopefully you found that in time. And this is where that chess shorthand that we alluded to in um, Shotgun King becomes once again important in this game. Like, knowing the move set and being able to like rely on that short circuit in your players' brains to be able to quickly identify where that safe zone is, is what makes this game work, especially when we talk about the, the multiplayer. Uh, but before we go into multiplayer, because I think that's an entire discussion on its own, we should talk about the, the last mode before that, which is puzzle. And this is basically, you know, you're using limited bombs and very specific placement without a time limit to um, break targets, right? There's targets and barriers situated on a a grid. You need to put the bombs of the various types that you're given at the beginning in the right place so that they all break. Mm -hmm. I did not play puzzle mode myself, but you checked it out. Yeah, I did. It was fun. Um, you know, it was it was kind of set up in in um, different tiers of expertise. You know, beginner, intermediate, expert, and there was a lot of them. Like there was, you know, a, a several several dozen that I I saw and didn't play through all of them, but I took a sampling of them, and they were engaging. You know, I think 
to my mind, like this game could easily have a second run as an iOS game. Like it has all of the the hallmarks of like a really good, um, you know, touch based scheme. It's basically one button controls, um, and it has this really nice level based setup that is really easy to pick up, do a level or two, and put back down. Um, it just it strikes me as a, a really obvious next step, and you know, I hope the uh, developer CT Matthews uh, maybe maybe takes that on himself. I, I think it could even like a pared down version that doesn't include dungeon or something could be perfect for for an iOS platform. The games are so fast paced too. Like we've talked before about how the Switch has the advantage of like oh you can just hibernate the hardware now and get it, pick it right back up. It was kind of built for bite sized gaming. Uh, I feel like Chessplosion was as well, just because. The games don't last long, however they go. <laughs> it's really fun to just lay out three bombs and just watch where the explosions take things. It really is. It's just, it's a very satisfying turn. And, and no nowhere is it more satisfying than in online multiplayer. <laughs> Me and Brian did some good multiplayer duels with each other, and this game's multiplayer was a ton of fun. It really did remind me of, like, N64 Bomberman, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, the part at the end of N64 Bomberman when you meet the, the um, overtime and there's bombs dropping from the ceiling and everyone's <laughs> bombs are going all the way across the screen instead of the normal small radius that they have? That's what it felt like, and... Um, it was always hectic and very, you know, energetic and action-packed and really fun. Um, and uh, to be fair, I lost my, my most shares of this one, but it was a little late and I had a beer or two, so, you know, I'll, I'll blame it on that. <laughs> I feel like this would have been a great drinking game back in college, especially if oh, you get yeah. like four people playing this. Absolutely. I, I could totally see that. Yeah, these matches lasted like 30 seconds. There would, this would This is like made for college land party or something yeah past the controller situation for sure uh it would be really fun couch co-op game um absolutely the online multiplayer works for what it's worth extremely well um i was actually you know shocked you don't normally see an indie game with like a full-fledged online multiplayer work this seamlessly um mm-hmm. it was so easy like you know we immediately joined the game up together uh, had no issues the entire time while we were playing online um so yeah uh, highly recommended. Give it a try. It's uh, once again another, <laughs> another you know great little indie chess like. Um, I really liked how the online multiplayer sort of devolved into us sort of you know trying to guess each other's intentions. <laughs> it, it really did sort of become like a fighting game, right? Like you, you the move set is so simple that we didn't need to spend a lot of time both learning what was going on. It was immediately became sort of a mind game. Yeah, we kind of, I feel, learned the contours of the strategy of this game doing a multiplayer. Not that I think, you know, we're the world's best players at this uh, multiplayer game by any stretch. We're going on the Chessplosion tour uh, next next season. (laughs) But like, you know, we hadn't played any multiplayer before we played each other. And when we first came in, it was uh, very much like rushing towards each other lay as many bombs as you can then try to sneak out before they set off and everything and you kind of learn that like okay that's you can go in there but that's not too hard to dodge if a player puts a bomb in front of you you're like oh it's a bishop i'm just gonna stand exactly where i am because i'm okay now um 
so what you kind of learn to do is like uh, you lay a bomb where you start off so that it's on this little timer thing and then you rush the other player and you drop bombs in front of them bombs that'll get hit by your first explosion and the other player hopefully doesn't have enough time to read what the pieces are and react appropriately so it's almost exactly yeah both of us came up with the strategy around the same time um and it's like it became this game of chicken where we both laid a bomb at the beginning and rushed towards each other knowing there's explosions ahead and behind us but trying to just get the perfect (laughs) timing because it works because you can twitch away super quickly from where the explosions are yeah it's it's really fun you know there's yeah, there's no, the limit is not in how fast you're moving. It's in how fast your brain recognizes where is safe and where is not. Um, and as long as you can sort of trick your opponent into looking at the wrong place, you know, do a bait and switch, do a sort of a hidden trigger for what you know is going to, uh, you know, detonate a bomb just before they can get out of range is the fun part. Mm-hmm. And it's also really fun to, like you mentioned before, get the death trap going because uh, the players can't move through each other's bombs or their own bombs. So there was a fair number of times where one of us would have our bomb behind us and the other person's bomb in front. And it's very delicious just waiting around for them to die for that second and a half before the fuse blows. (laughs) Yes, super fun to sort of, uh, you know, use the environment and the bombs to to make a little... A cage, a cage of explosions, if you will. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's sum up our thoughts on Chessplosion with a three-word review. My three-word review for Chessplosion is Super Chess Brothers. <laughs> While playing Chessplosion with Josh the other night, a startling amount of similarities between that experience and one of my favorite multiplayer games, Super Smash Bros., became clear. Chessplosion's one-button controls and simple chess-based conceit made it a very accessible multiplayer action game, easy to internalize, but demanding to master. It also had a more full-featured single-player slate than the Smash series typically gets credit for, which it also does as well, by the way, and featured multiple modes such as Dungeon and Adventure. But the nail in the Super Chess Brothers coffin was puzzle mode. As soon as I played my first few levels, I knew this was Super Chess Brothers version of Break the Targets. <laughs> Overall, Chess Explosion is an easy recommendation for me. Novel, full featured, easy to pick up. Check and mate. Nice, very good. My three word review for this game is Jousting with Bombs. Chess Explosion takes some clear inspiration from Bomberman and the multiplayer works just as well as a pick-up-and-play game with friends. It somehow ends up being even more fast-paced than Bomberman, though, due to the fact that all of your explosions start off at the maximum blast radius from the get-go. There's no hunting for power-ups while sniping at your opponents. It's an immediate fight to the death, and the fights go quickly. With each player able to lay down three bombs at once, each of which affects a large portion of the board, the fights end quickly. It's far from a chess match or even a fist fight. It's a joust. Fast, furious, and victory decided by movements within fractions of a second. Yeah, I think that's really well observed. And honestly, like, we couldn't have asked for two different yet very, I guess, well-implemented versions of a chess 
uh, indie game. You know, I wouldn't call them both roguelikes at this point, although they both had roguelike aspects to them. Um, but boy, I think I think we did a pretty good job here picking out two two nice little <laughs> chess likes. <laughs> I agree. I agree. This was a good one. Yeah, a lot of fun. And um, yeah, if you had fun as well, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. Take care and keep on gaming. Yeah, so I, you know, I know we we talked about it a little bit, but, um, you know, to me, like this chess-like thing, you know, as as far as roguelikes go, like I, I made a joke of it up top, but I do really think the fact that we can re- use something like chess to hook in players into an existing rule set, like, really helps a roguelike, right? Like it short circuits. Um, some of the sometimes painful aspects of learning a new roguelike. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's something called game liter- literacy, which is basically saying like you've played a bunch of games and you know what to expect there. If um, you are playing a roguelike and you're in a dungeon and you see a goblin, you're not thinking oh, I should maybe talk with him and try to sell him things, although I'm sure there's a game out there for that. Your first thought is, I'm going to stab him because he's a goblin in a dungeon. Uh, It's that genre knowledge of what to do based off of other games you've played. And these games using chess as a theme, I'm going to call it a theme, although, you know, it's mechanical in some ways too, but it borrows from that game literacy where oh, this is a bishop. He's going to go diagonally. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple things I want to say about that. And and one, I completely agree with you. But um, the fact that you already know how every game moves and attacks, I think, really helps. And I think it threw this game into sharp contrast with games like Curse of the Necrodancer, which required a lot of learning to basically come to the same point where you know those that game did do its best to teach you like how each different type of enemy moved and of course by its nature it was a rhythm game you had to react within a certain amount of time i feel like if they had combined the chess-like aspect of this game with that game's rhythm-based situation it could have been a little bit more satisfying for me just because like i would have already internalized that move set you know what i mean are are you referring to Crypt of the Necrodancer or the Zelda version thereof? Both. I mean, oh. they basically both function in the same way for me. Um, you know, they uh, it was something that took me a little time to internalize, and eventually I got it. But I think those games had to inherently be a lot more forgiving um, up top, just because they weren't able to rely on you having internalized the moveset of all the different enemies in it. Oh, that's very true. Yeah, you... Um see like uh i don't know an angry tree in mm-hmm. crypt of the necrodancer and you're like oh maybe he doesn't move i'm not sure but you see a rook and you're like cool rook i'm standing catty Straight corner lines. for him yep. i'm i'm fine 
exactly. And I think, you know, I, I, maybe we can blow this out a little bit more. Like you mentioned about um, gaming literacy, and I think this is really key for basically how most FPS games have coalesced around a pretty agreed upon scheme for controls, right? Like you could pick up any iteration of Call of Duty or its like and know that the triggers are going to do this. Here's my reload button it, to the point where when we went back and revisited old Halo games and they weren't exactly what we expected them to be, it felt weird. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah, just like, um, I mean, Halo was two decades, some some two decades ago. Like, it was weird. You hit a button and you're like, why is that grenades? Why do I keep exactly. throwing grenades at myself? I tried to reload just now, not throw a grenade. <laughs> No, I felt exactly the same way. And, you know, I'm going to continue to do some callbacks here. Um, I think the um, the shorthand aspect of this game where, you know, you're able to rely on intrinsic knowledge can even be compared to something like Hades, where they used Greek mythology for introducing character archetypes. You know, basically agreed upon shorthands for anything, be it mechanics, story tropes, etc., are really useful in sort of, you know, uh, boosting your player into a place where they um, can feel a sense of immersion or, you know, at the very least competence about what they're being asked to partake in. And, you know, I, I really like it when a game does that. Not to say that everything should always just be a remix or, you know, draw upon something that already exists. I definitely value originality, but I think there's a time and place for using these types of shorthands and it can be really powerful. Absolutely. Um, especially if you're trying to do anything with novel mechanics or anything where uh, if you're like the more original you're trying to get for the game design, the less you can rely on that game literacy and you have to really put a lot of thought into UI and how you communicate to the player what they're supposed to do. Uh, so all that is to say, um, be original until it's too painful, and then rely on tropes. <laughs> <laughs>